Welcome to the ADEA DPL podcast. This educational series explores industry trends and best practices, providing advisors like you with insights to better serve your clients and grow your business. This episode features an interview with President and CEO of Market Council, Brian Hamburger, and DPL's founder and CEO, David Lau. Here we are today talking with Brian Hamburger. And uh, while well, we're still enduring this COVID crisis, and we want to talk about uh, a lot of you know, timely things and how the current you know, climate is impacting business and leadership and you know, challenges to advisors and practices that, you know, that we've been seeing. And you know, Brian is the founder and CEO of Market Council. I'm sure many are familiar with, with Brian and, and the firm. And so just Brian, in, in looking at this current climate, you know, how, how has it changed or impacted your business as you're you know, primarily helping a lot of advisors you know, in their you know, efforts to go independent and, and breaking away? You know, David. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for having me uh, to, to to this conversation. In one moment, uh, I feel that uh, everything uh, has changed uh, within our business, and then I get back to reality, and I realize the only thing that's changed is the surroundings upon uh, which we're uh, which we're working. I think part of that is that the messaging that we're all receiving right through our inbox, through the television, uh, every every single channel seems to start off with the paragraph of during these unprecedented times and at times like <laughs> these, right? And so you, it kind of puts your mind in a different place saying, wow, you know, we, should we really be behaving uh, all that much uh, differently uh, than we were before? Uh, but then, you know, you put your uh, logical assessment hat on and you're, you know, you're, you assume your role as a business leader and you say, well, you know, no, let's not buy into all this. I mean, really, um, the vast majority of everything has remained the same, uh, although there are some critical components that have uh, uh, that have changed. And so, you know, our messaging uh, to our team is stay the course. Uh, and while we may have to do uh, things a bit differently and in a different environment, and we, you know, we may need to communicate a bit differently, and we may need to be more responsive to rebut this presumption that hey, we're here. Um, what we, uh, you know, what we need to really make sure we're doing uh, the vast majority of times is exactly what we were doing before this whole pandemic occurred. How about you? Are you feeling the yeah, same, David? A lot of the same. And, and it's funny, you know, the firms that we work with, you know, we're working with, you know, at DPL with more than you know, 800 firms, you know, RAA firms now. And the words you use that you talked about with your own team, stay the course. You know, we hear that, you know, so much from, you know, our advisors as they're talking to their clients. You know, what are you going to do, you know, through this crisis? And, and the idea is you had a good plan going into it. You know, and if you did have a good plan going into it, you know, you, you should be accounting for in some way, you know, a crisis. So that's those three words, the stay the course, you know, we've, we've heard that quite a lot. And, you know, I think it makes a great deal of sense, uh, you know, when you've got a good plan. But, you know, where we see it sometimes, you know, for advisors with, with their clients in staying the course, sometimes they're, you know, the, the client is, is, you know, freaking out. You know, they, they don't know what to do. So you need to, you know, we talk, you were mentioning leadership and, you know, so we see that need to provide leadership. What are you seeing with leadership, you know, amongst in, in this crisis? You know, I hope I'm not dating myself, but you remember that old quote that Mike Tyson used to say, which is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. 
right? And I knew so that's a client, what you were going to bring up. <laughs> you know, well, because a client came to me with that just last week, and I said, well, no, but that's not fully – that's not the stop, right? The stop is that, no, actually, you still have a plan, right? You just were startled by getting punched in the face. And so I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not a boxer myself, but I do know uh, a few fighters. And, you know, what they'll quickly uh, say is that those that can get back on their feet, those that can remind themselves of what their strategy was going into the ring um, and can stay the course, right, and can continue to deploy that strategy even when startled like that are the ones that are most successful. So when you, when you talk about leadership, you know, Leaders who were really running businesses before uh, this happened, when I say really running businesses, I'm differentiating that from those that were running practices, right? Which there's no shame in running mm-hmm. either, but where yep. they ran businesses, businesses have uh, you know duplication of efforts. They've got backups. They, uh, they, they deploy risk management uh, techniques. They've got committees who are overseeing and giving, you know, independent looks at uh, different critical areas of the business. Leaders who were prepared in running businesses, well, they had a business continuity plan. Right. And so once you got over the punch in the face, your ability to quickly deploy that business continuity plan should have steadied the ship. Right. It should have let your team know that, hey, you know what? We got this. Right. And that was the first step uh, along the way. And, and, you know, we tried to deploy ours really early. In fact, a few of the folks on, on my team said, you know, are you crazy? What do you mean work from home? Why do we need to, you know, work from home? And, you know, my sense was either we're going to look a little bit silly in front of a few of our clients or we were going to look really prudent um, and, um, uh, and, and careful um, if, uh, if this did come to fruition. So to me, the business continuity plan and sticking to that, that plan was, um, you know, was, was the first thing. The second thing, you know, we did was, was we, we got out front. We really tried to communicate early um, and, you know, communicate, with just, you know, the facts of what was going on. Like, hey, we, we've we moved to this situation, but you, the client, can call the same exact number, email the same exact people. Nothing should change for you. We simply want to let you know we got this, right? And so to me, you know, we deploy this front stage, backstage uh, mentality, which is we want the backstage to be as complex as it needs to be, but no more complex than that. But we want the front stage to look exactly the same time and time again. In fact, we had a little bit of a uh, uh, a test where last year in February, we were displaced from our office. We had a flood in our office and we were displaced from our office for uh, almost three months most every one of our clients had no idea. We never sent out a mass email. We never we never notified them. We simply tried to just continue to to do what we were supposed to do each and every day. And I think that's true leadership, right? It's not true leadership isn't what you talk about. Uh, it's not what you um, you know what you uh, throw up on a PowerPoint slide. It's um, it's preparing, planning sticking to the plan and then reassuring uh, your stakeholders uh, that uh, th- that this is all this has all been accounted for it's so much easier to lead when you've got a good plan right so yeah. a lot of you know we we talk to firms and you mentioned the continuity plans I mean that's you know I, I would look at you know what we've seen in, in terms of the reaction and then the leadership within you know within firms is you had some firms who really didn't have that good continuity plan you know who you know, when we call them, they're like, we have 
our software hard installed into our desktops. We, we need to move to the cloud. Like we, we can't be, you know, thinking about anything other than how do we support, you know, working remotely right now. So you had those people who, you know, were, you know, kind of behind the times in having, you know, a preparedness for any kind of you know, event like this. And then um, you had others who, who, you know, like you, like us, we closed down early as well. You know, I, I thought it would be, you know, prudent before we were, because we were so well prepared to work remotely. Um, that it, it, it wasn't really going to be an impact on the way we conduct business. So, you know, I thought in an abundance of prudence, you know, we went remote, you know, pretty early. But even then, among the firms that, you know, followed that plan and were able to, do, you know, have a good continuity plan in place, then, you know, we I saw a difference too. And some that, you know, looked at what was happening, you know, with fear and others that look at it with opportunity. You know, some who are just kind of closing ranks and, you know, we're not doing anything new. And others are saying, hey, this is an opportunity to address, you know, things and take advantage of, you know, the opportunities that this is, pre- you know, presenting, uh, you know, to us. And, you know, some of that is, you know, around communications, you know, and, you know, the opportunity to proactively engage your clients, proactively, you know, deliver, you know, deliver messaging that can, you know, reinforce the relationship as well as, you know, lay the ground for, you know, the future of, of the relationship with the client. And that you mentioned that also, the early communication, which we think is, is so important. One of the, the difficult things I think for a lot of leaders right now has been the lack of reliable data you know, to make decisions. Yeah. You know, when you, I mean, you, you, you're just outside of New York, so you're really you know, close to, you know, my uh, birthplace of Jersey City, but uh, right. I, in following in following what's been going on, you know, with the crisis, we talk about, uh, you know, what are the prudent things to do? We've been told to shelter in place, and then I saw you know Cuomo come out last week and saying sheltering in place. Two thirds of our you know two thirds of our hospitalizations have come from people who are sheltering in place. <laughs> so as business leaders are looking looking for data to make decisions. It's hard to get you know good data around you know around making decisions right now. So we've seen that as a challenge. But but what are you what are you seeing right now? It's what, you know, just generally, not even directly COVID related. But you know, what do you see as some of the greatest challenges to advisors today? I actually I think you hit on uh, on one of them right, which is fear. Um, and, you know, you've got to manage uh, your inputs of where you're getting your data from, right? You should be getting your data from your professional advisors, not the ones that are trying to sell you something, right? But the ones that are the, the ones that actually do well by you doing well. Um, you know, you should have a uh, trusted, uh, whether it's a formal board or just a group of folks that you trust to synthesize data and share with you uh, different perspectives. Uh, you know, we've got... We've got a, a pretty cool, I wouldn't even call it a system within the wealth management space, but may, maybe one of the the, the, uh, the the best secrets in the space is that just about every president and CEO of, uh, of, of firms within the wealth management space can get one another by text message and typically get them on the phone within the hour. Um, and so when I'm trying to see something from a different perspective, you know, I'll just, I'll ping someone, right? And I'll say, you know, David, need your thoughts on something. And I mean, you know, you've got 
you know, you've got a treasure trove of really good insight uh, from all different parts of the country uh, that you can use and synthesize. Uh, I think looking at, you know, looking through paid subscriptions to uh, periodicals and publications. I mean, David, I'm reading more than I've read my entire life. I mean, more than I've ever read in <laughs> law school, more than I've ever read as a kid. I'm just reading, I'm watching, and I'm trying to synthesize uh, information. And, and uh, the reality that I've come to is that uh, right now people just don't know, right? And yeah, we want answers and we want conclusive answers, um, but the ones that are telling you the answers uh, are the ones that uh, perhaps aren't clear of the questions. Um, so mm -hmm. when you know when I start hearing, um, you know, everyone should wear masks. No one should wear masks. Masks give you a <laughs> false sense of security. I'm I'm sitting there saying, okay, either yeah, either the messaging is biased, you know, which is don't deplete the PPE, but let's be really intelligent about the message, which is, okay, you know, and I don't know if this is the message, but you know, masks are helpful. However, we'd prefer that you don't hoard them so that the first response, like, let's be adults about this right. conversation. We're not getting that right from our elected officials or most of them. We're not getting them from, uh, you know, from politicians or from government agencies. And so, you know, as business leaders, we're forced to source that data ourselves and to look at a whole bunch of different uh, data inputs and then make what you will out of it. It's not, it, you know, it's not a great data set to be able to make decisions from. But uh, after I after I go through that for the first hour of every morning, I'm typically left with the the big question mark of, okay, so I guess I guess we just don't know, right? I mean, that's what we're going to have to live with right now is we just don't have an answer yet. For you know the majority of my career, you know, as kind of an entrepreneur, you know, a lot of a lot of people you know talk about one of the differences between entrepreneurs and you know, people at big companies is entrepreneurs are often more comfortable making decisions with incomplete data. <laughs> you don't you don't necessarily have have the luxury of of studying you know an issue from all kinds of angles and getting all kinds of different inputs and you, you've got to make decisions with with incomplete data and you know that's you know that's really uh you know with this crisis you know what we're seeing a lot like you're pointing out you get not only incomplete but conflicting you know data points you know on on what you should do and you know one of the things i was, I was going to bring this to and you're know, talking about challenges to advisors um is even pre-crisis so you know pre-crisis you know one of the big challenges you know we talk about you know to you know the ra firms you know we work with uh, and advisors in general is kind of commoditization. You know, everybody, you know, talks about commoditization you know, as a, as a big problem. I, I, and they've, you know, been projecting it in asset management and, you know, and you see that in, you know, with robo advisors and asset management's kind of getting commoditized. But, you know, what we've also been seeing, you know, from our particular bent of providing insurance, you know, for, for RIAs is the, the business model is getting commoditized, right? So, you know, the way I put it to RIAs is, you know, the RIA model has been so successful, that of being, you know, a fee-only fiduciary advisor that everybody else is adopting it. You know, whether you go to a wirehouse or a broker dealer, they're managing money on fees, you know, they're acting in a best interest. You know, we know that there's a difference between best interest and fiduciary, but, you know, the general public really doesn't. Um, so we've seen that, you know, kind of commoditization and we, uh, and I think that's been, you know, a big threat and a, and a threat, you know, to, um, you know, RIAs in particular as their business models kind of been co-opted 
by by a lot of the the rest of the industry. I don't buy it, um, and so and I know you don't that buy the, it. I don't buy it. I, I know that's been a lot of the dialogue out there, but. I mean, if you ever were fearful that your business was being commoditized, um, you know, look at the success that investment advisors have. Uh, and when I say you, I mean investment advisors, right? Because you know, David, what you guys are doing is is I think you know quite distinctive. But when you when you look at investment advisors and the independent advisors have thrived in this environment over the past decade plus. And they've yep. thrived in an environment where no one really needed them to be successful at managing their portfolio, right? <laughs> and now, now suddenly we're in this environment of tremendous volatility and uncertainty. And, you know, look at the prior topic we're just talking about, which is fear and trusting your sources and the information and the incomplete data set. That's exactly how investors feel. It, yeah, yes. And so if, if you've yeah. ever been fearful uh, that your business uh, as an independent advisor was being commoditized, then this is your Super Bowl, right? This is what you've trained for, <laughs> right? You're, right. You're, uh, you, you should be foaming at the mouth and not foaming at the mouth as to, you know, all of the, uh, you know, difficult times that certain people are going through, uh, whether it's due to illness or, or uncertainty with their employment or, or finances, but you're an advisor, you're there. Uh, and you, you've been training your whole life to be able to counsel people when they need you most. Um, and, and this is it. Exactly. So, I mean, we're kind of on the same page there, though I came at it from a diff, you know, diff, little bit of a different angle. When I look at commoditization, I look at you know, the, the, the actual services themselves kind of being you know, commoditized and brought, to, brought together. But you know, going to the next question we were going to get into, the greatest opportunity, and that's what, I, what I'm seeing is what you're saying. So, you know, if you're just going to provide, you know, a service like asset management, you know, that actual service has become commoditized, but the way you deliver it, now that's different. So, you know, the way you provide leadership, the way you provide information to your client, you know, the, the, the experience your client has with you, you know, to me, that's the greatest opportunity for advisors. And that's exactly what you're saying. Like, that's what shows through now. Yeah. And, and, and everyone, listen, everyone, when they're going through difficult times, uh, even if they're healthy and they are employed, everyone's going through difficult times, right? I mean, the, you know, the, the, the notion of being quarantined uh, and, you know, and being with the same people each and every day without a break. I, I know my kids can't wait for me to jump on a plane somewhere just for a few days to, <laughs> you know, to, uh, to give them yeah. a little breathing room. But, you know, the notion that everyone's going through something difficult, their own version of, of difficult right now. Everyone wants an advisor on their side. Everyone wants a cheerleader, right? And even if it's to reinforce yeah. what they intuitively already know, uh, you know, advisors, objective advisors, those that can really put themselves uh, in, in, uh, on the same side of the table as a client, I think have never been in a better position to differentiate themselves uh, in, in the marketplace than, uh, than right now. And it's a shame that so many people have to go through uh, so much difficulty in order to highlight the value uh, of objective advice. But this is the time. You know, finally, we have clients who are home. Uh, they have an appetite to engage in this type of minutia, right? To actually understand the advisory relationship, maybe as opposed to uh, another relationship they have uh, had or they currently have with a broker dealer or um, or with um, you know a firm that may carry a greater burden of conflicts. 
they they are not you know on a safari or a cruise where you can actually get them to execute paperwork um so they have the bandwidth to to take this on so if you're you know if you've ever complained that you know clients could care less about uh, all of these other things guess what they care a lot now and uh and this is the time uh for advisors really to shine and to be able to demonstrate a huge distinction in their value proposition uh despite commoditization that's largely driven by uh by technology yeah i would agree and so you know like you're saying not only you've got clients who've got the appetite for it they're you know the the clients are sitting at home too (laughs) so it's a great time you know so often you know you deal with uh, getting a lot of paperwork signed as do we uh in implementing new insurance and and god knows you know tracking down clients uh to get signatures can can be uh painful but this is you know this is a terrific time to again reinforce your value proposition you know proactive communication with your client you know, get them engaged in things that maybe you had struggled to get their attention with in the past because you know they are at home, you know they are at home and they are focused because of the because of the volatility in the market they they are focused on their finances right now yeah i was going to ask you a question so uh, so aside from everything else changing do you find that clients themselves are changing and what i mean by that is you know has this drop in the market either been a gut check for them uh to really reassess their risk or maybe such circumstances changing such as their current employment that has them reassessing what risk means to them are you finding that that's also changing i think so because i mean we hear from you know from our advisors all the time where you know rias as you know haven't been historically big users of insurance and we kind of enable that through you know the commission-free products we you know we bring to the market so in the past you know rias would have to um you know sell away from insurance like in a crisis like this this is you know the heyday for insurance salesmen you know, the annuity market is bumping right now, right? And so for, you know, RA clients, they're getting approached, you know, with, you know, insurance products, you know, in annuities in particular uh, that can protect their assets, maybe, you know, give them guaranteed income. And and clients, you know, like that. And in the past, RIAs have had to say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to manage your assets. You know, take a, you know, you'll be okay. You know, you know, make it through the market, take a long view. But the clients want some of those protections. Uh, so, you know, we give the RIA now the ability to have the same tool set, you know, in terms of products, you know, that, you know, the, the commissioned ad- advisors have had in the past. So now we hear from, you know, our advisors, hey, we're, my client's asking me about annuities because they're, they've got a insurance salesman talking to them. You know, what can I provide them? So for people who may not have been as engaged with our services, you know, as they were in the past, we're seeing that increase, uh, you know, because of what the market's done. And the other thing that I think, you know, I've been talking about a lot lately, uh, that you've seen is like the invisible creep of risk into into retirement portfolios. So with the lowering of interest rates, you know, where interest rates are now, you know, at zero, all-time lows, uh, and have been dropping this way for, you know, better than a decade, in order to get, you know, to meet the retirement income needs of their clients, you know, advisors having to, you know, slowly by slowly, you know, little by little add more risk into a portfolio. So that, you know, you look at the data, 
the port the retirement portfolio of today is six times more you know has six times more risk in it than you know the retirement portfolio of just 30 years ago and it's got you know two to three times more risk than the retirement income portfolio of just 15 years ago so you know clients are you know sensitive to the you know to the risk because they're exposed to it more and when you at a crisis like this hits their portfolio the portfolio is impacted more today than it ever has been so we we definitely you know hear from advisors who have clients who are looking for you know protective strategies you know at least sure. some portion of the portfolio they want a little you know they they want some certainty you know it's another value that the advisor brings to the table is to assess is the client simply you know making um uh, an in the moment panicked uh, response where they're seeking protection, at, you know, maybe at uh, an inappropriate cost, or is this a really a realignment of their risk assessment? Whereas before, you know, they thought risk just meant that they might make eight percent instead of twelve percent, but now they understand, you know, that that risk means risk. And um, you know, going back to your conversation, uh, the 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 concept you had mentioned earlier. We talked about entrepreneurs and be willing to being willing to make uh, decisions with an incomplete data set. You know, clients tend to not have that same tolerance, right? They they want a complete uh, data set, and and they want they tend to want someone on the other side who's going to be more objective. And more objective may be hitting the gas and accelerating and moving them towards. Uh, a resolution or tapping the brakes and saying, Hey, I, th- I think this is just an emotional response that I think we, you know, we need to beg away from. We've talked a lot about communicating with clients and that's a, to me, a, an enormous way of, you know, cementing value, you know, in a, in a relationship. Um, and you, know, you talked early on about one of the you know two things that you guys did as a firm. One, you had a plan and two, you communicated early. Yeah, what do you think some of the best practices you've heard you know, from advisors or you've seen or advocate you know, for communicating with clients in general? First, I, I think they should watch as much TV as possible and read as many emails and then don't do anything <laughs> like that. Um, right, right. I mean, the, the second that I, you know, the second that I get an email that says during these unprecedented times or, you know, at <laughs> moments like these, I, I'm already tuning out. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's enough of that already. Uh, and, you know, and they're, they're all false pretenses, right, that are designed to sell. I mean, there's no way that the car company has such genuine concern for me that they're willing to finance the cars for 20 months. I mean, they're, you know, it's all designed to get to, to the sale. So I'll yeah. tell you, you know, we've got, uh, I got a draft from our communications team on, on, a, uh, on a recent uh, letter and they do a great job. And I'm really, this is not a, a, a for a moment, uh, a scoff at them, but I, I rewrote the thing and I even called it my 4 a.m. letter, right? I, and, I, and I sent the, you know, <laughs> and I sent the letter out to all of our, uh, our clients and, and partners. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, uh, I think everyone needs to, if they're going to communicate, they should do it often. They should do it regularly. Uh, they should be present and be, you know, really genuine uh, in the uh, in the communication. You know, and the great thing about being genuine is uh, it, it, is it doesn't require a campaign. You know, it doesn't require you to be strategic as to what you're saying when, uh, because. Being genuine and being real just leads itself to being in the moment, and uh, and I think that I think the clients and uh, and business partners, including those that you receive a referral flow from, they, they want to hear 
from you. They want to hear that, of course, everything's okay. Uh, and if things aren't, they want to hear that, but they want to hear um, what's going on. And those are the emails that I appreciate most is, is, is getting communications from, from folks that I care about and, and not seeing what their marketing department, you know, whipped up, uh, but, but really seeing what's going on and what their current thinking is. And, and I've, I've appreciated those uh, along with the different expressions, genuine expressions of gratitude that I've seen in those uh, communications. Yeah, so it sounds like you're like my wife. If she sees one more TV commercial from from somebody talking about how genuine they were about caring about your your health, and oh, by the way, um, you know, would you mind buying our our car or cat food or whatever whatever it might be? Everybody's messaging around around you know their care for your health and well being. Yeah, that's my top pet peeve. My next pet peeve are folks looking to enter into the market who are willing to tell you that um, everything's new, right? All the rules have been rewritten. Uh, Nothing you did yesterday is going to work tomorrow. Um, And uh, and whatever I'm selling, you ought to be buying. Uh, You know, know, to me- Don't use use the two words that, that, that have been killing me, the new normal. Right. The new normal, right? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, because credibility and trust are, uh, are a product of consistency, right? It's about, it's about consistently being there, consistently having, you know, what we call a genuine voice. Uh, and, you know, and that's how you build trust over the years. It's not, you know, it's not feeding into the panic. It's not, you know, it's not throwing additional logs on the fire or gasoline. It's, uh, it's about being the voice that was there before and continues to be there afterwards. And, uh, and so I think, I think that's what's critical when it comes to communication, I really do. And as we advocate you know, to the advisors we work with all the time, proactive, right? Proactive you know, communication, you know, not disingenuous like we're, like we're making fun of, but that proactive you know, communication so you know, your clients know you're on top of the situation, you know, you're, you're addressing and, and, and you're addressing what you know is on their mind, you know, because, you know, because of your experience and because of, you know, your expertise, you, you know, what's going to be on their mind, proactively reach out and communicate you know, to them uh, rather than, you know, wait, you know, wait and hope that they're not calling you. Oh, the market's down, you know, 20%. You know, let me uh, take my phone off the hook. Uh, That's right. I don't want to you know, talk to any, any clients. Uh, you know, own what it is, own your expertise, you know, control the, you know, control the conversation. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is the time, as you said, this is the time you're, you're earning your money, you're, you're solidifying your relationships and you should really be proactive about the, you know, about your outreach and communication to the client. Yeah. You know, what makes it easy, David, is there's been so many bad examples, right? Over the last few months, uh, you know, airlines are, are are one of them, right? Where they were slow to communicate, they were slow to develop uh, policies. Um, they tried, and I believe continue to try, uh, to um, to maintain some rather inflexible policies. And only when it's within their business interest, right, to try to get some business, do they say, "Well, you can buy now and change later at no fee." Uh, but you can see you can see the contrast in the marketplace between those that have been slow and um, uh, hesitant to, uh, to respond and those that were early and were, you know, I think uh, engaged in an act of bravery of just putting themselves out there and say, Hey, you know what, 
here's what we're doing. Here's what we're here for you. I'll tell you, I, I sat down and I'm, and this is not to pat ourselves on the back. This is really, you know, uh, folks on, on my team, when we sat down early and we decided, you know, work from home was, was the next step. The next thing we did is say, what do we need to do to reposition our services to address what our advisors are going to be going through? And one of the first things that came up is we said, we're, they're going to need to be communicating with their clients uh, more frequently and more rapidly, right? They're going to, you know, we can't, we can't submit something for a compliance review and us review it for 24 hours and come back to them. I mean, we just can't move at that cycle. And so uh, when, when our regulatory team said that, I said, okay, here's my challenge. I want you to go from 24 hour uh, response time to 24 minute. And they're like, are you serious? <laughs> and you know what? Within a day, they did it. Within a day, they retooled the whole system. They changed the, the way in which we were, uh, we were queuing up those tasks, how they were being prioritized. Uh, and I, we have had more testimonials over the course of the last couple of months from that one change, simply you know, retooling yep. our compliance review or advertising review process than anything else we did. And it wasn't all that difficult. Well, I say that from afar, but it, <laughs> it, just, it, it, it really wasn't. It just required some empathy to say, okay, what are our clients going to go through and what do they need more from us now than they didn't need before? Yeah, that's great. And like you said, in such dynamic times you know, where there is the pressure to have you know, communication and have it be timely, yeah, I can see that that would be, you know, hugely appreciated by your clients. I mean, one of the, one of the things, you know, we did, you know, we've got a membership model, you know, firms join DPL to, you know, get access to our products and services. But we had seen, you know, during, during the crisis, so many advisors, you know, we knew we're, you know, they're losing client assets to, you know, to outside insurance sales. You know, we, we heard from one of our clients, they lost a $2 million client you know, to somebody whose Medicare provider had sold them an annuity and then took the oh. asset management. Um, so we were hearing stories like that. So, you know, we went out and again, not to you know, toot our horn, but in the notion of like how you show leadership in response to the market you're serving, we made our services free. So for we just said, for, you know, we believe in, in the RA market. We believe in fiduciaries. Yeah, you know, and and we believe in in the need for insurance. So for any RIA who was, you know, needing to you know having an insurance solution for their clients, whether because their clients were asking or or defensively because their clients were getting pitched annuities, we we made our services free. Just trying to you know be a leader and understanding, you know what your you know for us our market, not even our our customers, but what what the the market that we serve that we believe in. Uh, what they need, uh, you know, during, you know, during a time like this. No doubt. No doubt. That's admirable. That's uh, because, I mean, that's, you know, people are hesitant to make a buying decision right now. And that's, uh, you know, that's all because of fear. And, you know, as much as we talk about how fear shouldn't really be the predominant uh, emotion, um, you know, the moment that the moment we get off the phone or the moment we disconnect from uh, from a web call, they're surrounded by it, right? They're surrounded by folks that are peddling fear. Um, and so the yep. more we can do to reduce barriers to people getting the, you know, the type of help that they need, uh, I think the, uh, you know, the more effective we can be during this period. So, Brian, one of the issues that we hear, because we get approached by breakaways you know, a lot of times when they hear what we do is you know insurance you know their you know breakaways you know they might have had an insurance solution from their broker dealer or you know through their you know wirehouse uh you know infrastructure and then when they're going independent 
you know, insurance can be a challenge. They're not, they're not sure, you know, if they can continue providing insurance, uh, it's potentially lost revenue. It can be, you know, one of the hurdles they've got to overcome, uh, in looking to break away. And, you know, what's your, what's your experience with the firms that you've worked with? Investment advisors are, are tagged as investment advisors because that's where the regulations were developed, right? But really investment advisors, uh, for the most part, are wealth managers. Um, and what clients come to them for um, is is not just investments, right? Clients come to them with, how do I manage my wealth, right? And most good advisors, mm-hmm. the most effective ones that I've seen, really reconstitute that question to what does your wealth mean to you? Um, and how do you see this playing out into your life, right? Because at the end of the day, there's a subset of clients who are concerned about holdings and, you know, what the alpha is, the, you know, the, the risk that you're taking on within their portfolio, the deviation from the, the, the indexes. For the most part, clients want to know that what they've worked for over the years will be theirs to enjoy uh, throughout their life uh, and leave behind whatever legacy they deem appropriate, right? And that's what, to me, that, that's what brings about the personalized nature of these services and, and, while, and, and why it will never be fully automated, right? If you're going to address uh, risk management, from a client perspective, if you're going to look at uh, a wide variety or, or the entire spectrum rather of um, n- not only retirement vehicles, but also uh, vehicles that will help you pass your wealth down to future generations, uh, you'd be remiss to just overlook insurance uh, as a sector of, uh, of financial services. And so, you know, what, what we're often talking to advisors about is, is the best thing about going independent is that you release the shackles of the supervisory, uh, uh, the supervisory systems that you've been working under, and you can play and make your way throughout this giant national park of financial services. And you, that means, you know, that means working with any investment product that you deem appropriate. That means working with on any investment platform. It means, uh, it means insurance. It means real estate. It means art. It means leasing. Like it could be anywhere that you your clients have a need. And the compensation to me is secondary. Yeah, there are regulatory issues that we talk about in terms of can you be compensated for this versus that. But I mean, you and I were talking about um, advisors plugging in uh, variable annuities. You know, while most advisors, if they're only licensed or registered as investment advisors or reps, they're not going to be compensated on the sale of that variable annuity but they're still gonna manage that sub account and can have a consistent fee structure. So what I tell them is the compensation is secondary. Listen, if you're, you know, if you're an insurance broker, right? And that's what you are first and foremost, then an independent advisor is not for you, right? You, you shouldn't be looking over here. But if you're a wealth manager, the, comp- the, the, the various methods of compensation are there, your determination on how you wanna be compensated, which uh, conflicts of interest you wanna get involved in, uh, how aligned do you wanna be, uh, do you want your compensation model to be with your clients? All of that to me uh, are questions that we can answer on the independent side. And I don't know how you check all the, box, the, the boxes for your clients without getting involved somewhere outside of investments if you're holding yourself out as a wealth manager. Right. And that's the, you know, that's part of the impetus for, you know, building DPL is, you know, the, the RIA who's been, 
you know, years ago, the asset manager who's expanding into being the financial planner, the wealth manager, providing more holistic services, um, either within their firm or, you know, through partnerships and, and, and referrals, you know, we give them the ability to fulfill basically, you know, the insurance you know, part of that wealth management, that financial plan, you know, through a partner that's, you know, aligned philosophically, you know, commission-free, low-cost, you know, product. We're a referral source for them. You know, we work for them, uh, you know, for the advisor, that is. Uh, we're, we're not a, a threat to their, co- you know, to their client relationship, you know, unlike if they have to refer, you know, to the New York Life agent down, you know, down the street or the Northwest Mutual guy uh, who might be looking to take the whole relationship from them, not just sell them a term life product. Uh, so, you know, we, we are definitely believers in, you know, the fiduciary model uh, and bringing, you know, insurance, you know, to a practice that enables them to, again, as you're talking about, be that holistic wealth manager, provide those services in a way consistent with, you know, with their beliefs and philosophy, we think is you know, a, a really important expansion of capability you know, for RIAs. And that's why we think what we do is, is pretty uh, you know, disruptive and, and you know, really help, you know, helping advance you know, the overall mission of the RIA market. And that's why you and I never have a shortage of things to talk about. We're very aligned. Let's be disruptive <laughs> and, uh, and continue to be additive to the, uh, the ecosystem. And I appreciate your time, Brian. I appreciate your ongoing, you know, leadership in the industry. You've been, you know, somebody I've, uh, you know, I've admired for quite a long time. You're, you're an outspoken voice, and you know, always provide you know, good, thoughtful, you know, guidance and leadership. And you know, people like you are very valuable to the industry you know, in times of in times of crisis. Listen, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to connect. I always learn something every time that you and I uh, get together, uh, whether it's in person or, or over the phone. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Brian Hamburger from Market Council. Uh, we appreciate your time today. David at DPL, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes from our guests, go to dplfp.com and visit the podcast page.